0: CHAPTER X OF A YELLOW JOURNALIST BY MIRIAM Michelson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leanne Howlett A Dream Trousseau Which Miss Massey Ordered Pretend you see the slanting road around a high hill, which bursts into twin peaks at the top, the convent of St. Anne brooding in a comfortable crotch of the hills to the west, and camped out on the roadside leading to it rhoda massey rhoda massey tramp journalist once a reporter not yet a desk man officially still out of town on a vacation but really and with that fixed idea of digging up the lowenthal letter hovering like a little lunatic about the place that held sister euphrosine and the precious thing she held Oh, a convent's the easiest place in the world, Rhoda. I sneered at myself that day. No rules, no regulations, no distrust and independence of the outside world. All you've got to do is to sail in and tell any old fairy story to Sister you for seeing, and she'll be charmed to give you anything you want. I sneered, but I sat there just the same at the side of the road, looking out over the city and the bay beyond, and wondering wondering how in the world i was going to get inside those gates a nun who had passed me twice a day for the past three days with the uniformed little girls out for a walk told them in a whisper that i must be an artist studying the view and in a sense she was right i was an artist in my own yellow little way even if the view in question was the one that you see yearning with half-shut eyes and wide-open fancy the land of desire where you get what's coming to you. What was coming to me? Why, just a bit of paper with a few lines scrawled on it. That was all I wanted. Instead of that, I got a nod from a woman inside a blue coop that had already driven past me up the hill and stopped now at the bend of the road on its way back down again. A blonde little boy was jumping up and down on the cushions inside, and a woman in black leaned out to say a word to the driver. "'Why, Miss Massey,' she said as she faced me, "'you don't know me.' I looked at her. Some story of mine she was, of course, but stories have a way of erasing their predecessors in your mind when you do a lot of them. "'I hope,' she added prettily, "'you haven't forgotten Mrs. Dilworth?' "'Oh, indeed I haven't!' I exclaimed. "'Nor baby Jim! How is he?' Mrs. Muriel laughed and pointed to the fine little fellow beside her. Happy she was. Anybody could see it. Happier than she had ever been during James Dilworth's respectable life. "'I'm just turning to go back to the convent again,' she went on. "'I'm going out of mourning as soon as Sister Euphorseen.' "'Sister?' Yes. She looked at me queerly. I know the blood must have rushed to my face. As soon as she can get me ready. But I've come away without leaving some fur with her she will need. Jim caught up the bundle and was playing with it and carried it off with him. So, Grant, she called up to the coachman, we'll have to go up the hill again. Oh, no, 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 I exclaimed, the words tumbling over themselves in my eagerness let me take it for you mrs dilworth i-i'm on my way up anyway why how very good of you she said hesitating but no the best way if you are going up too is to get in and let us carry you up won't you i'd love to i answered quickly but-but the exercise is very good for me you know i suppose it is she said pensively Writers lead such sedentary lives. Don't they? I thought of the strenuous times I'd been having. Won't you let me take back the bundle? Well, if you will be so kind, she said, taking it from the child and handing it to me. Just tell Sister Euphrosyne Sign how it happened, won't you? Tell her? Oh, depend upon it. "'I'd tell Sister Euphrosyne everything she ought to know. "'While Mrs. Dilworth said pretty polite good-byes "'and Baby Jim danced for pure joy of living, "'I hugged that precious bundle to me "'and didn't hear a word she said. "'I only knew when I was free to go on, "'and then I took to my heels, "'so glad and grateful I was for this bit of a chance. "'The convent gate's a massive affair, seemingly.' I suppose it patterns in wood some great bronze door of the Middle Ages, when timid nuns sought shelter behind it in the world ward outside. Today, though, and on this particular day, a haughty nun stood within, and a timid, despairing, and very yellow journalist cringed without. "'But Sister Euphrosine is occupied,' the inexorable, placid-faced warder was saying. "'I know.' "'I said gently, but it is most important "'that I should give her the bundle into her own hands. "'Why, it isn't about a fitting, is it, that you've come?' "'A fitting,' I gasped. "'If it is, you ought to have gone around to the other building, "'the side entrance,' she motioned to the right. "'But I will take the bundle to her if—' "'It's—it's a fitting,' I interrupted hurriedly. "'It must be a fitting, I guess.' She looked at me disapprovingly for a moment, then she motioned again to the right, and with a nod left me there. "'It's you for the side entrance, Rhoda,' I cried to me as I hurried around to the right. "'Oh, if your early education hadn't been neglected, you'd know what sort of religious exercise a fitting is. I wonder.' But I stopped wondering." Before me a door stood hospitably open, and an immaculate little maid in the convent uniform bending over her embroidery rose at my approach, and in the most casual voice imaginable. "'What name, please, shall I tell Sister Euphrosine?' she asked. "'What name, please?' And here for days the smartest reporter on the news had been yearning her heart out, scheming a way to get inside— when all one had to do was to walk around to the side and say a name. Oh, I was humiliated, but I gave her a name quickly just the same. "'Tell the sister,' I remarked. "'Mrs. Dilworth.' And the rest she didn't need to hear. And neither did Sister Dufrosine, evidently, after she heard that open sesame, Dilworth. She came in, a clear-faced woman of fifty, say, she wore the nun's gown and coif all right, but in her eyes and about her lips there shone that same alert, businesslike intelligence that makes one understand François Sabatier's success. "'You're up against it now,' Rhoda Massy,' I said to me with an inner sob. "'A nun, a Frenchwoman, and a business head, all in one. What can you do against a combination like that, you poor little schemer?' "'Ah,' she said. "'I understood Marie-Sophie to say it was Mrs. Dilworth.' "'No, only a—a friend of Mrs. Dilworth's,' I answered gaily, and talking quickly. "'When your heart has tumbled down into your boots, your lips have just got to pump it up again.' "'A friend of Mrs. Dilworth's?' she said cordially, motioning me to a chair and seating herself. "'Is always welcome.' What is it to be, mademoiselle? I looked at her. If the Sphinx ever opens her granite lips and tells her secret to the world, in an unknown tongue, perhaps it'll know what I felt just then. Here was my chance. I knew it, I knew it. And yet I dared not speak, for fear of spoiling things, but could only sit dumb and crimson and stupidly embarrassed, while I struggled vainly for the right thing to say. I saw Sister Euphrosine's large, clear eyes open in astonishment, and then, all at once, they closed, as Francois Sabatier's do when he thinks he has found a good joke. (laughs) Ha ha ha! she laughed enjoyingly. But, Mademoiselle, I have guessed your secret. It is not a crime. (laughs) Ha ha ha! I half rose from my chair. Oh, how could she know? How could she know? tell me?' She leaned forward, laying a large white hand on both of mine. "'It is a trousseau, eh? Am I right?' "'Right. Of course she was right. But whose trousseau, and what of it? I felt like the stupid odd one that can't guess a riddle when everybody else is on. For a moment more I looked confused into her smiling, significant face. Then my eyes fell. "'On what?' "'I defy you to guess. "'The very last thing in the world you'd expect to find in a convent. "'But it was the solution of the riddle, all right. "'A fashion plate. "'Actually. "'On the table, there, at my very elbow, "'some fashion magazines from Vienna and Paris were spread open. "'I did blush, then, for my own blundering stupidity. "'I had forgotten the nun who is the worth of San Francisco.' Ah, me, it shows how far from being swell Rhoda Massey is, since she has never had an embroidered gown from the convent of St. Anne. All I could do was to nod consciously, and she laughed merrily then, pleased as a child with her own divination, but pleased as a woman is who deals with a bride, and pleased as an artist who finds a subject. My congratulations, mademoiselle, she prattled, "'If there's anything I love to do, it is to plan a trousseau. "'I hope you have not arranged details of it. "'Oh, charming! You will let me do it all. "'Slip off your jacket and let me take some measures.' "'I obeyed as in a dream, and stood patiently, "'my mind a-whirl with wonder and wishing, "'while she wound the tape measure about me, "'calling out a series of numbers to the little maid in the hall, "'rapidly like the signals of a football coach.' i can't get over my surprise sister i said cautiously at 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 a nun's being a modista she supplied quickly it is all for the glory of god my dear from each according to his capacity i was apprenticed at paquin's shop and had ambitious dreams of becoming a paquin myself when i turned from worldly things if the good god had given me a voice instead of quick hands a good eye and a delight in beautiful lines and textures, I should be teaching singing here at the convent, instead of embroidery and dressmaking. And then you, you would not have been shocked, mademoiselle. Oh, shocked, sister, I exclaimed. Oh, but she was big and fine and workmanlike, flitting about me, and her long deft hands played inaudible music when she turned over a heap of silks and chiffons, "'to choose a material from the mass.' "'Well, well,' she smiled agreeingly, "'and somehow I felt that she was conscious, as I was, of being in tune. "'There's a subtle something that tells you "'when you're in accord with the other fellow. "'We both felt it.' "'This talent of mine came from God. "'Its benefit flows back to him, "'and I am twice happy in working and working this way in his vineyard. "'See how we prosper out here?' how god blesses the work of our hands some day i will ask you to step into the workroom and see the embroidery my little girls do ah oh, it is charming it but they are not wearing the pouch this year mademoiselle and 24 around the waist in dismay she interrupted herself and drew the tape measure about me again as though she doubted her eyes the reproachful note in her voice made me feel grossly guilty in the waist oh oh it is this "'What in the world?' "'It's just my pygmy Kodak, sister,' I answered, relieved myself to find that the deformity she deplored wasn't natural. "'Haven't you ever seen one?' I took out the tiny machine and showed it to her. She was as eager and interested as a child. Oh, the beautiful capacity for enjoyment in that sweet nun. She was sunshine embodied and couldn't help smiling and shining.' but she hadn't much time to give to anything but gowns. With a serious face like a big Belgian madonna's, she turned to bend over the figures which, interpreted in a knowing way, formed the plans and specifications of that piece of humanity known as Rhoda Massey. There was an expression of delight on her lips, and she looked from the statistics of me to my own small self, standing erect and on parade before her, with such impersonal and unconscious flattery, that my whole face went red, and embarrassed as a kid I slipped down on the stool beside her. Pardon, pardon me, she said, her voice half laughter, half contrition, but the proportions are exquisite. You must let me make you a décolleté gown, and... Sister, I gasped. But she was too far gone. The nun had been swallowed up in the dressmaker. Not for the wedding gown, of course not she said, wholly innocent of my meaning. Do you know I have never made just the bridal costume I long to? And a diminutive bride, a round, gay little figure like yours, with the mignon face. Come, come. She pulled herself up suddenly, crossing herself remorsefully. It is true what Mother Marie Catherine says. Instead of taking the trip to Paris next year to look at the fashions, I must give up my work and for a time go into retreat. But not... But not before the trousseau is finished? Ah, no, mademoiselle. But expect no more compliments from me. I must not turn this sunny head of yours. He will do that. He? She laughed delightedly at my puzzled face. But surely he she repeated as she turned over the pages of a fashion book on her knees. "'Where there's a trousseau, there must be a he.' "'Ah, so there must.' I looked down pensively at the slim-waisted figures in their modish gowns as her fingers rapidly turned the pages. Her face, too, was pensive, absorbed. For the moment I had become merely a lay figure, a living fashion plate, just a frame for her art to hang pretty things upon.' "'None of these,' she said with gentle disdain. "'The fashionable bride's costume is still too much like the decoration on an old-fashioned wedding cake. "'Too sumptuous. "'The bride must rise above her clothes in this supremely poetic moment of her life. "'Too much satin, too much veil, too much conventional stiffness and observance of modes. "'Naturally, what can one expect? "'It is designed by a man dressmaker.' She shrugged her shoulders beneath her coarse serge gown, a perplexing, fascinating gesture in a nun. Now, my idea, my idea for a bride. I have it. Impulsively she laid a hand on my shoulder, while she used the other to sketch her conception, in the air or about me as the lines suggested themselves. This skirt, she said with the solemnity of inspiration, is round and full and very very girlish just a bit of train nothing stately it is not the awe of maidenhood but its sweetness its humanness its approachable perfect modesty that we wish to express at the edge just three bands narrow folds of the material at the waist the softest vaguest shirring the bodice too is full dainty youthful with a sweet round lacy line at the throat like in the virgin's pictures Simple as that. In the sleeve—oh, in the sleeves, mademoiselle, we will permit ourselves just the smallest play of fancy. To the elbow, of course, but not too full. And the lightest, finest Valenciennes, I think, or— My child, my child, what is it? What is it? No, nothing. Nothing. I sobbed and buried my face in my hands. But she couldn't bear that the loving, generous soul. She drew my head into her lap and laid her still hands gently upon it while I... When the big things come into a girl's life and fill it full to overflowing, there isn't room for much else. It was only the husk of a wedding her words painted, but to me they brought a forlorn, ghastly picture of a girl walking miserably, in the supreme moment of her life, alone. A girl who had wagered happiness on success and AND GOD HELP HER, ONE. IN HER LONELINESS, HER TRAGIC, SUCCESSFUL LONELINESS, SHE WAS A TRAVESTY ON ALL THE SWEET, INTIMATE dependence THIS BRIDAL FIGURE OF SISTER EUFROCINE SYMBOLIZED. TEN DAYS SINCE I HAD LEFT THE OFFICE, AND IN ALL THAT TIME, TED THOMPSON HAD NOT MISSED ME ENOUGH TO MAKE ALLOWANCES FOR A MAD, SELFISH, UNTHINKING THING LIKE ME, AS HEEDLESS AS AN ANIMAL WHOSE INSTINCT TO HUNT DOWN HAS BEEN AROUSED the necessity for making a fool of myself hasn't come very often in my life but when it did come i found i could be as silly and hysterically without reason as any woman i've ever interviewed so i wept now sobbed hard and plenty and with my head in the lap of a woman i'd never seen before today, gave capricious vent to the impulse i'd always found so contemptible so unaccountable in other women sobbed and strangled and shook and got quiet after a while and dried my eyes, yet still lay there, with burning cheeks and shamed, swollen lids, exhausted from the new strange passion of tears. "'My dear, my dear,' Sister Euphorseen murmured. She had sat quite still through it all, like a beautiful big statue of sympathy, but not unmoved. I knew that by the thrill in her deep voice when she spoke." I drew a long, quivering breath. "'I—I'm very sorry and—silly,' I stammered. "'It's because—' "'Do not tell me—do not say anything,' she pleaded, as I rose and pulled my veil down over my feverish face. "'But let me say one thing to you. It may be a mistaken thing, my child, but you will know that it is heartfelt and forgive if—if I'm wrong. "'I know of a woman—' I do not know her name, who married a man not loving him. I know that she lived with him years, loathing him. I know that at last her sin brought death to her lover, and terrible affliction to her husband. And yet in a letter she wrote since all this has come to pass. In in a letter? I gasped. I had forgotten, forgotten the whole thing. Yes, I have a letter in my room see, child, what selfish misery brings a woman to. She shows she has no pity even now for the husband she has wronged, and writes this very letter to caution her confidant against revealing some secret that would bring comfort to him. But, but how can you keep such a letter, I cried, from the man who ought to have it? It was given to me, she replied with dignity, for keeping by a A person who will produce it when the time comes. When the time comes! The time when Francois Sabatier should decide which side would pay him most for it. Oh, the sly old Francois! How well he knew the way to secure his sister's cooperation! Being apart from the world, she went on gently, I cannot, of course, understand the whole sense of that letter, but I— I would not have a girl's nature become so warped as that. Rather than see her marry a man she does not love, rather than have her weep at the thought of her wedding day, I would counsel her to come, come into the great compassionate church, as I did. I stood trembling before her. I was all at sea. How good, how good you are! I mumbled helplessly. We will not speak of your trouble any more, she said softly. Be comforted, my child. Sometimes a girl does not know her own heart. But, but if before the day comes for you to wear the pretty frock I will make for you, if you look into your soul and feel that you need something to strengthen you in a resolution, come to me and I will show you that letter. The name you need not know, but the lesson it. You will? It's a promise, sister, you foreseen. You'll keep it? But suppose you should have to give the letter up? I will let you know, then, before I do. It is a promise, my child. Pray that you need not ask me to fulfill it. End of chapter 10